Welcome back to our special mini series on opioids brought to you by the IFF Health and Safety Division. My name is Sarah Burns, Behavioral Health Specialist at the IFF. In this episode, we'll have a conversation about how to manage pain responsibly. Our guest is Dr. Alan Gonzalez-Cota. Dr. Gonzalez-Cota is an anesthesiologist and is duly board certified in pain medicine. Dr. Gonzalez-Cota is the CEO and founder of Legacy Spine and Wellness, a clinic that specializes in work and sports injuries using a patient-centered, integrative approach. Dr. Gonzalez-Cota has a unique perspective on the pain management challenges among firefighters as he serves as the exclusive pain management consultant to the IFF Center of Excellence for Behavioral Health Treatment and Recovery. Dr. Gonzalez-Cota, thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation. Thanks for having me. In previous episodes of this podcast, we talked about how many people are addicted to or use opioids. And every day, it seems like there's another news story on this topic. Looking back over the past two decades or so, how did we end up here? You know, how did we end up in this place with so many people using opioids? Well, between 1992 and 2012, the amount of opiate prescriptions in the U.S. tripled, but the population did not. There were some key factors in the 1990s that contributed to the total surge in opioid use. Uh, first, in the mid-1990s, the pharmaceutical industry strategically targeted doctors throughout the U.S. Uh, in the way of changing their approach to pain and how uh, they minimize the use of multimodal approaches such as physical therapy and psychological therapies in favor of opioids. Physicians were convinced the risk of opioid addiction were much less than previously thought and that pain was an undertreated epidemic. Opioid therapy was pushed in general uh, as a safe and a compassionate care approach and uh, became widely used. Uh, second, the American Pain Society made the concept of a pain as a fifth vital sign. And healthcare providers at all levels, in hospitals, in clinics, in their small practices, were forced to use this uh, fifth uh, sign to be treatable, such as a blood pressure or a heart rate, uh, your respiration or your temperature. And that not treating the pain or the pain scale will produce more uh, comorbidities. In addition, in 1996, Pardew Pharma, one of the largest opioid manufacturers in this country, released the extended release of oxycodone uh, by the name of, uh, or brand name of OxyContin, and was heavily marketed uh, in primary care doctors, the uh, gateway to the healthcare system. If patients began to use oxycodone to manage chronic conditions like back pain at the primary care level, these patients will likely become long-term users of oxycodone. In addition, the pharmaceutical industry in general also targeted the Joint Commission, which evaluates and accredits hospital. Soon enough, pain scales were on the wall of every emergency department. Uh, you, can, you probably remember those signs saying, what's your pain in the little faces? And nurses were encouraged routinely to assess and treat pain with opioids. Lastly, unlike other countries, medicine in the US is a business enterprise. Therefore, it is not incentivized for long-term health. It is incentivized to sell healthcare services because the fee for service uh, system. 
Therefore, the system is able to thrive most when targets its patients that suffer from chronic illness, such as chronic pain. If the patients are struggling with pain, the treatment is often long-term and indefinite uh, opioid use. So it sounds like there are really a lot of factors that contributed uh, and got us to this place today. Yes. And it's very interesting. How can a uh, substance uh, such as opioids can produce so much um, grief and uh, problems among the population with the opioid uh, overdose crisis? But also it's a fantastic uh, substance to alleviate some of the most difficult uh, pain, which is pain after surgery or pain with a malignant um, process such as metastasis or end of life. So that's the, the paradigm that we, we see in practice. That makes sense. So you alluded to this a little bit. What are appropriate uses of opioids? What do they do well and you know, when should they really be used? Well, the medical evidence shows that opioids are effective for the relief of acute pain after surgery. Uh, pain related to major accidents, uh, such as uh, musculoskeletal trauma, fractures. And they're also used uh, in painful cancers, metastasis, uh, and end-of-life pain. The interesting fact is that today there's not a single high-quality uh, study uh, demonstrating a benefit for opioids in chronic non-cancer pain, such as back pain or neck pain. So I think we've seen, it sounds like you're saying that uh, a lot of people out there using opioids, you know, aren't using them as prescribed or are using them for issues where it hasn't been proven that the drugs work for that issue. Yes. And the problem is that it's a systemic um, effect. So since the primary care physician will uh, attempt to treat pain with opioids as first line, or many pain centers will also use Opioids as the first line therapy just propagates and uh, what happens is that the patients get used to the opioid, maybe the pain resolves, the tissue damage, let's say a disc uh, that uh, got a tear in their back that happened to heal, uh, the, opio the patient develop opioid dependency and it's very hard to uh, distinguish between uh, chronic pain syndrome and uh, just plain opioid dependence, but we have some psychological tools to assess that. So Dr. Gonzalez-Cota, I know you have a role in teaching primary care physicians about this work, about how to assist patients in tapering opioids uh, for chronic pain. Could you tell us a little bit about that part of your work? Absolutely. Uh, the guidelines were established by the Centers uh, for Disease Control a few years ago uh, for the primary care physician that wants to approach the patient with high-dose uh, opioids. And they're very uh, simple. Uh, first, the indications for the opioid taper are the patient requesting to be went off the opioids. Functional improvements that are less of 30% while taking the opioid. Any history of overdose or any recent episode of overdose and signs of opioid overuse, such as intoxication when they show up in the office. So to perform uh, the taper, I typically recommend starting with a 10% reduction on the monthly basis, meaning if the patient is taking 120 pills a month, maybe decreasing the quantity by 12 pills or 10 pills, that's a good start point, and then continuing on a monthly basis, decreasing the uh, quantity of pills. 
if the patient is in extreme high dose opioids, I typically start with a higher uh, reduction at the beginning, maybe 30, 20 or 30%, and then continue the slow uh, taper. We must provide uh, psychological support for these patients, and they need to be referred out to an addiction clinic if they have uh, high risk or if they're not tolerating the taper. Uh, also, complex patients with uh, multiple substance abuse or pregnant patients need to be seen by the specialists. Patients are often surprised that they can get the same degree of relief on a low-dose opioid. And it's, interestingly enough, some of them will experience improvements in their pain, even when they're off of opioids. But more interesting yet is that some of them will experience improvement in, in their pain even when they're off of opioids completely, they feel much better. Wow. So the thing that um, some of our members or people out there were taking, thinking it would help them with their pain, um, sometimes people can actually get more relief by stopping taking those substances? Yes. This is a very interesting phenomena that recently has been catching the eye of clinicians. We know in my um, field in pain medicine sciences, uh, mostly from animal data, that the opioids can produce a paradoxical reaction where the opioid can induce pain just because the chemistry that we are built with, if you suppress uh, the uh, transmission of one substance in your nervous system, typically the uh, nervous system will compensate by increasing production of some other substances. That's a, a normal phenomena. We call it homeostasis. And uh, in regards to the opioids, if you uh, suppress that um, release of substance P, specifically in the spinal cord and the brain, there's an uh, increase in another substance that is actually more um, uh, effective transmitting pain signals in the glutamine uh, pathway. And that uh, produces this phenomenon called opioid-induced hyperalgesia, where the patient starts noticing different pains. They might have started with back pain, they were prescribed opioid, but now they notice like strange sensations in their skin uh, that are um, painful. We call those dysesthesias, uh, joint pains. They start developing headaches, some of them. So it's uh, now been proven in the clinical science uh, on multiple studies on patients that undergo surgery that are treated heavily with opioids during their anesthetic. And uh, there are studies demonstrating that um, they require more opioids after the surgery. Uh, and that's probably attributed to opioid hyperalgesia. Wow. Okay, so if opioids aren't really a good way to manage chronic pain, what works better? How can our members minimize their pain, but also minimize the use of opioids? Well, uh, that's a, the new approach. So uh, interestingly enough, this approach is not new. It was started uh, a long time ago by a anesthesiologist, at Walter Reed, uh, in uh, the 1940s, uh, Dr. Bonica. So his approach, and he's quoted to be the founding father of modern pain management, uh, going from symptom modifying to disease uh, modifying. And this is a new approach, uh, which is not truly new, but it's been revived in uh, pain centers all over the country, uh, both academic and 
private practice. First, after we switch this paradigm in the pain specialty, uh, then we can understand uh, what's the most uh, scientific-based approach. Uh, the number one uh, is to taper the opioids, as I mentioned, but we have to provide pain relief some other way. Thus, there's significant uh, advances in pain sciences to treat multiple pain syndromes uh, from back surgery, where we use uh, neural modulation, which are implantable devices. Uh, we have uh, procedures where we can knock down the uh, pain sensation by working with the nerves. Uh, those procedures are, are called uh, thermal coagulation or blocks. And after the analgesia or the pain relief is established in the chronic pain patient, and we start tapering the opioids, uh, they might notice significant improvement in their function. That's the time to do a aggressive uh, physical or occupational therapy program that can last a few weeks to uh, years converting to the gym and following this uh, comprehensive program to retrain the nervous system back to normal again with the sensations. Uh, and of most important is to start uh, an intensive psychotherapy program. Uh, there are many ways to do that. Uh, the traditional uh, in-person psychotherapy or counseling is switching to online-based uh, tools and apps. So there's a revolution in uh, the psychological support for the chronic pain patients. So it sounds like there really are a lot of options out there to minimize pain without the use of opioids. Yes, uh, the science is developing uh, as we talk because the opioid crisis is fueling new approaches to pain management and it's a very exciting time to be uh, practicing this uh, uh, subspecialty and uh, more funding is being provided from uh, the NIH to uh, academic centers that are researching new non-addictive um, approaches. And as soon as uh, one of them comes out to um, the general public in the form of a drug or a new treatment, uh, the specialists are able to deliver this therapy to the general public. What are some of the common pain management issues that you see among firefighters? I typically see a mix of uh, pain syndromes. I have three categories for them. Number one is the most common, the non-traumatic back, neck, joint pain related to overuse and occupational injuries. Uh, the second uh, more common that I see is trauma-related pain, uh, patients that have fractures or uh, accidents uh, in the line of duty. and uh, they undergo multiple joint surgeries or back surgeries or nerve damage. And uh, that with a mix of the rates of uh, traumatic brain injury that are higher uh, in the firefighters and post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, those two uh, central nervous system diseases act as a pain uh, amplifier uh, of the chronic musculoskeletal condition. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Um, if one of our members is going in for a surgery, what are some of the steps that they might take to minimize the risk of opioid dependence afterwards? You know, what types of conversations should our members be having with their doctors around this, these issues? First, I recommend talking to the surgical team about what non-opioid options they offer for acute pain after surgery. 
such as nerve pain medications or anti-inflammatories, specifically for orthopedic surgery. Abdominal surgery, thoracic surgery, I recommend nerve blocks, epidural blocks, or spinal blocks. Those are some of the most robust uh, pain relieving techniques in the acute pain period, uh, both uh, from the surgery and right after the surgery. Second, if the firefighter has a history of uh, chronic pain uh, or any substance abuse, or is currently on opioids for some other reasons, such as uh, needing um, stage surgeries, I recommend a uh, visit to the anesthesia clinic. Typically, the large uh, hospitals uh, or healthcare system will have a anesthesiologist seeing patients before they undergo surgery. And also, they can refer to the pain management anesthesiologist to come up with a good plan. Uh, to maximize the chances of uh, discontinuing the opioids after the surgery. And in that same vein, if a firefighter uh, is suffering from chronic pain, how can they approach their doctor to explore some of the different treatment approaches you discussed today? What might that conversation look like? In general, I don't recommend winning or stopping the opioids uh, if they're used for chronic pain without establishing uh, another way to treat the pain because that puts the uh, patient at risk of overdose if they start seeking drugs uh, elsewhere, not from medical sources, uh, or they discontinue the opioids and then they try to restart the opioids at the previous dose. Typically, it will be a high dose and they can overdose. So coming up with a good plan is uh, of interest both for the physician and uh, the patient. I recommend that the firefighter ask his or her uh, primary care physician for non-opioid pain relievers and also lifestyle changes such as sleep quality improvement, uh, activity pacing, or exercise for joint mobilization. Studies show that patients that use self-managing techniques such as transcendental meditation, yoga, acupuncture, or tai chi have a better quality of life and a better prognosis on their pain disability. I do recommend attending a live online pain school seminary designed to improve the knowledge about the pain mechanisms and self-care techniques. When the pain is not improving, I do recommend uh, seeing the pain specialist uh, or somebody that can correct the painful disorder, such a joint degeneration or spine degeneration. A good example is uh, hip arthritis. When I see the patient that is uh, bone on bone uh, on their hip joint, I do recommend seeing one of my orthopedic um, colleagues. I see patients in their 50s trying to delay the surgery, which is a total hip replacement typically, uh, because they know that the lifespan of that joint replacement is not long-term, but I ask them, do you want quality of life in your 50s and 60s or delay surgery for 10 years and get better quality in your 70s and 80s? Uh, hip replacement is one of the most uh, satisfactory surgeries. It makes my job much easier uh, uh, of tapering opioids uh, quickly. But if surgery is not indicated and physical therapy does not provide relief, uh, you have to ask your doctor to refer you to a reputable pain center in your area that specializes in non-pharmacological therapies. 
and their physicians uh, are board certified in pain medicine specifically. So we've really covered a lot of ground today in this conversation. We've talked about some of the reasons why so many people are using or addicted to opioids looking back over the past couple decades. We've talked about when opioids might be used well and what they're good for. We've talked about situations where uh, it's probably not the best option to manage some chronic pain. Uh, We've also talked about tapering off opioids uh, if the patient desires to reduce their use and ways to do that uh, when it's appropriate to do that in primary care and when a patient might be better served by a pain specialist. And we've talked a little bit about how our members, our firefighters, can have conversations with their physicians around these issues to make sure that there's open communication and that they're getting really good care uh, for their pain-related issues. Dr. Gonzalez-Cota, I really want to thank you for joining us today. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our members have as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to create some awareness about the opioid crisis and new approaches for pain therapeutics. And thank you for your work every day uh, treating our members, patients who are at the IFF Center of Excellence. Uh, We really appreciate your work there as well. It's my pleasure. To access the other videos and podcasts in this series, visit opioidepidemic.iff.org. Content was supported by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences of the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Energy under award number uh 4 e S009759. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not necessarily represent the official views of the National Institutes of Health or the Department of Energy.